happy Saturday. Hope you're having a great weekend in preparation for Sunday Super Bowl. Uh, to get you started, we got a whole buffet of my fire starters uh, for this week. Uncle Jimmy out this week. He'll be back on Monday, uh, so he'll be hosting this again next week. Uh, listen, I started with a bang on Monday. You got to hear this mono, this fire starter on Joe Rogan and how <laughs> Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson negotiated inward reparations for black people. I, you just got to hear it for yourself. I can't do it justice. Comedian and podcaster Joe Rogan, he said the N-word. He is white. He is not allowed to use the N-word. The steroid for comedy, music, and other forms of entertainment. The N-word is part of a reparations package that black people negotiated with the Ku Klux Klan and other white liberals following the Democrats' failure to support the Emancipation Proclamation and the ending of Jim Crow laws. White liberals now serve as the N-word police. They enforce black people's exclusive right to denigrate and define themselves with the word. The N-word is Bitcoin for black people. It's our most prized possession. Popular black comedians and rappers treat it like an American Express card. They wouldn't think of taking the stage or hitting the recording booth without it. Black violent criminals frequently use the word when killing or assaulting a black victim. Black people use it to show other black people that they're really black and not uppity black. There's seemingly nothing more authentically black than calling yourself and other black people the N-word. The fact that white people must be granted an exemption card by the Democratic Party to use the N-word makes using the word feel even blacker. It's really special. Joe Rogan is not in good standing with the Democratic Party. His willingness to interview doctors who contradict the Democrats' narrative on COVID and experimental vaccines nullified the exemption he received for supporting Bernie Sanders. During the 12 years of his podcast, Rogan repeatedly spoke the N-word, not as a pejorative, he spoke it in the context of relating a story accurately. The white liberal enforcement arm now wants to cancel Joe Rogan. Rogan made the mistake of apologizing. Take a listen. Now, I know that to most people, there is no context where a white person is ever allowed to say that word, never mind publicly on a podcast. And I agree with that now. I haven't said it in years. But for a long time, when I would bring that word up, like if it would come up in conversation and stay, instead of saying the N word, I would just say the word. I thought as long as it was in context, people would understand what I was doing. Like, but it's not my word to use. I'm well aware of that now, but for years I used it in that manner. I never used it to be racist because I'm not racist, but whenever, you're in a situation where you have to say, I'm not racist. You up. And I clearly have up. And that's my intention to express myself in this video to say, there's nothing I can do to take that back. I wish I could, but obviously that's not possible. My apologies and much love. My sincere, deepest apologies and much love. I like Joe Rogan, but I'm just sorry. That apology is embarrassing, it's dishonest, uh, it's beneath him. I'm so tired of this game we keep playing with the N-word. Oh my God, that is the exclusive property of black people. That is their word. They can use it, we can't, and I understand that now. Oh my God. I. I borrowed, I culturally appropriated the N-word. I mean, don't you realize that when black people say it, it's perfectly okay? But if I even just utter the word and repeat the fact that someone else said it, I mean, my God, coming off the lips of a white person, it's just so, so painful. This is all a BS game that's being played.
I, I wish Joe Rogan, who's got a ton of money, a ton of support, I wish he had the balls to call BS on all of this. But I'm dreaming. He's got a weak CEO, the CEO of Spotify, apologized to Stafford, I mean to staffers, for Rogan previously using the word. There isn't one person on the planet legitimately offended by Rogan's use of the word. It would have been offended in real time, not retroactively. We must end N-word reparations. Black people proudly claiming the word as our exclusive right is arguably the dumbest and most racist act of the last 60 years. It's the equivalent, wait for it, of claiming the murder of black men as our exclusive right. Oh wait, we've done that. We kill each other with frequency and impunity, write music celebrating it, and only get upset when white people violate our exclusive right to kill each other. We will step over a hundred dead black bodies shot in neighborhood disputes to weep at the grave of Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd. Black murder and the N-word are in the same reparations package we signed with the KKK and the Democratic Party. I wanna know who cut this deal. The people who sold Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees for $100,000? Did Master P cut it after wrapping up the infamous Ricky Williams New Orleans Saints contract? Do you know how dumb and or satanic you have to be to argue that the worst word in the dictionary is your exclusive right to use? Or to argue that you've turned that word into a term of endearment, a positive. No one really believes that. The N-word is just another tool in the racial playbook of the Democratic Party. No one believes Joe Rogan is racist. They're a group of people in power who want him silenced. They're using the race card to silence him. Democrats know that comedians play a critical role in public discourse. Comedians and ministers have traditionally been authorized to speak uncomfortable truths. They set the tone for what is allowed to be debated in public spaces. For the past five years, all comedians have been cracking the exact same Donald Trump joke. They were united in their resistance to Trump. With Trump out of office, comedians such as Rogan, Bill Maher, Dave Chappelle, and even Jon Stewart are returning to their traditional roles of nonpartisanship and truth speaking to power. Comedians are naturally inquisitive. They're not politically correct. They say what's not supposed to be said and they ask questions that are not supposed to be asked. They're fearless. Rogan is being attacked as a message to all other white comedians. You will be smeared as racist. Chappelle is black. He's been smeared as anti-LGBTQ. He's homophobic and transphobic. White liberals fear comedians and ministers, quite strange allies. Great comedians and great ministers share a love of truth. Accusations of racism, homophobia, and transphobia are being used to silence truth. This is all covered in the fine print of the reparations package Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton cut with the Democratic Party. Anything that destroys truth, denigrates and kills black people is exclusively owned by black people and white liberals with approved exemption status. All right, so that was my take on Joe Rogan and the N-word. Tuesday, we moved on to Roger Goodell. I called for the commissioner's job. I compared him to Joe Biden. I said he's a political operative using race and racism to empower the matriarchy. Listen for yourself. The National Football League is no different from the rest of America. It is suffering from a lack of bold, masculine, ethical leadership. 
It's led by longtime political grifters, men whose love of the game's financial rewards dwarfs their respect for the traditions and customs that made the league a television juggernaut. Commissioner Roger Goodell is pro football's Let's Go Brandon inspiration. And his executive vice president, Troy Vincent, is the sloppy seconds the NFL Players Association discarded more than a decade ago. Goodell and Vincent are paid as handsomely as the game's top players. Their primary responsibility is to protect the shield, the once pristine brand that legendary NFL commissioner Pete Rozelle cultivated in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. What Goodell and Vincent have done in the past decade is cover their asses, protect their salaries, and acquiesce to every demand issued by football's left-wing anti-masculinity enemies. Early last week, disgruntled former Miami Dolphins coach Brian Flores filed a class action lawsuit against the league and three of its individual teams claiming racial discrimination. Its 58-page lawsuit ironically leans heavily on quotes from Troy Vincent that accused the league of racism. Not to be outdone by his vice president, on Saturday, Goodell fired off a memo to ownership chastising his bosses for not hiring enough black coaches. Writing, quote, racism and any form of discrimination is contrary to the NFL's values. We have made significant efforts to promote diversity, and adopted numerous policies and programs which have produced positive change in many areas. However, we must acknowledge that particularly with respect to head coaches, the results have been unacceptable. We understand the concerns expressed by Coach Flores and others this week. In his lawsuit, Brian Flores stated the NFL is run much like a slave plantation. The commissioner of the NFL, the man who runs a league and an industry that have produced more black male millionaires than any other American industry, basically co-signed Flores' ridiculous analogy. Roger Goodell should be fired immediately. He's paid more than $50 million a year to defend the league. He can't muster the courage to do it because he lacks the backbone and intellectual heft to recognize and articulate what ESPN, Fox Sports, the New York Times, and big tech social media apps have done to the NFL. Professional football is not remotely run like an antebellum Southern plantation. It's never been that. For a time, the league was the closest thing America had to a true meritocracy, an industry that attempted to reward ability and hard work. The NFL was not perfect, no human invention is. But Pete Rozelle's league was better than anything else on the planet. Racial progress was steady and predictable. Football treated black men far more fairly than the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the rest of corporate media. Drunk on and spoiled by the success he inherited, Goodell has spent his 16 years as commissioner chasing the affection and the approval of the league's enemies and well-intentioned critics. A year into his tenure, the media convinced Goodell that the league was overrun by lawless players and that his legacy depended on being the face of player conduct. He appointed himself sheriff and or attorney general of the NFL. It quickly turned into a boondoggle that made the players despise him. From brain injuries to deflate gate to bounty gate to Colin Kaepernick, corporate media dictates where Goodell focuses his energy. He never leads, he always reacts. Diversity, inclusion, and equity, DIE, D-I-E, is the latest media-driven assignment handed to Goodell. DIE is the death of the NFL meritocracy. A league that had a single mission of rewarding the ability and hard work of men is now obsessed with meeting race, gender, and sexuality quotas. It's a madness that leads to chaos, undermines innovation, and produces mediocrity. Diversity, inclusion, and equity is why the Houston Texans fired 66-year-old head coach David Culley after one season and replaced him with his 63-year-old associate head coach, Lovey Smith. 
Cully and Smith are both black. Cully was hired a year ago at the end of the 2021 coaching cycle when the league needed a black hire to satiate the ESPN talking heads who take their talking points from Troy Vincent. The Texans didn't really want to hire Cully. That's why they fired him after one season. The Texans wanted to hire longtime journeyman quarterback Josh McCown, who is white. It would be an unprecedented move in the NFL. But going all the way back to Bill Russell, it's somewhat commonplace for NBA players to quickly transition to NBA head coach. But you'd think someone like Stephen A. Smith would point that out, but uh, let's listen to uh, ESPN's top paid talking head discuss Josh McCown. But here's what really resonates with me. All of this Lovey Smith noise has come about because noise was being made as you appropriately brought up Michael Irvin, Josh McCown. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh McCown was an NFL player who was never coached on any level in the National right. or, uh, uh, at all, in any position for the National Football League. Period. Didn't even coach in college. Now, I made noise when Cliff Kingsbury, who never coached in the NFL level, was given the job for the Arizona Cardinals. Okay? Because even though he didn't have success at Texas Tech, you know, bottom line is he was a college football coach. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh McCown is just as much of a candidate as Lovey Smith or anybody else out there coaching. Absolutely high right. High school. That's if the that problem. ain't an insult to black coaches yeah. everywhere, what the hell is? Nice. <laughs> Whatever the case, the Texans coaching search has been a cluster F. Brian Flores was the other finalist. He's not an ideal candidate. He's suing the league and his lawsuit analogized the NFL to a slave plantation. If I'm running a business, I don't give a high profile job to a candidate who believes I'm a slave owner. I'm weird like that. Yesterday, Flores and his attorneys issued a statement alleging Houston's hire of Lovey Smith proves Flores didn't get the job because of his lawsuit. Well, no shit. Brian Flores' handlers cost him a job. In an effort to score DIE points, the Texans leaked that Flores was a finalist. That leak blocked the box the franchise in. They had hired McCown. ESPN's horde of race baiters led by Stephen A. Smith will say the franchise is racist. That's why the organization turned to Lovey Smith. The Texans replaced Cully with his top assistant. This is how corporations D.I.E. The Texans are following the orders of the NFL's alleged leaders, Goodell and Vincent. Goodell and Vincent take their leadership cues from the LGBTQ chief diversity officers overseeing corporate America's human resources departments. The gatekeepers of employment sound the same and fit a profile. We will, this is from Goodell, we will reevaluate and examine all policies, guidelines, and initiatives relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion, including as they relate to gender. In particular, we recognize the need to understand the lived experiences of diverse members of the NFL family to ensure that everyone has access to opportunity and is treated with respect and dignity. The values that made the NFL great revolved around recognizing and rewarding ability and hard work. Pete Rozelle did not talk about lived experiences and diversity and inclusion and equity. In pursuit of DIE, the NFL has prioritized creating assistant coaching positions for women, particularly LGBTQ women. A true meritocracy in sports has a long-standing history of working quite well for black men. Diversity, inclusion, and equity works for women. The enemies of football, the patriarchy, and masculinity have packaged their D.I.E. strategy as justice for black coaches. That's not the real agenda. Same as Black Lives Matter isn't about protecting black men. It's about disrupting the nuclear family and the patriarchy. Weak men are weak leaders. Their lone concern is protecting their paychecks and their power. 
Goodell and Vincent are not advocates for the league that employs them. They're public defenders cutting a series of plea deals with the opponents of strong male leadership. We should not be surprised. America has an unprecedented leadership crisis that is accentuated by an absence of morals. The NFL is a reflection of our descent into Babylon. A collection of lyrical pornographers, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, and Kendrick Lamar, highlight this season's Super Bowl halftime show. In the name of diversity, inclusion, and equity, a gaggle of gangster rappers will wax poetic about bitches, hoes, weed, and killing N-words. Black Twitter and its white allies will celebrate the Jay-Z-produced circus as a sign of racial progress. Meanwhile, away from the noise, buffoonery, and claims of plantation-style oppression, Roger Goodell and Troy Vincent will continue to oversee the create creation of additional coaching opportunities for women. Let's go, Roger. Mmm, that's a vibe. Uh, Wednesday, we kept it rolling. Showtime's got this new racist documentary. Everything's gonna be all white. They got black people on, during this documentary sounding as racist as the KKK. I'm mad at everybody. I even brought Joe Biden's crack pipe giveaway into it. Here's a fire for you. Showtime's three-part documentary series, Everything's Gonna Be All White, should be renamed The Rebirth of a Nation, presented by the Chinese Communist Party. Based on its two-minute trailer, All White aspires to be an all-black adaptation of the infamous 1915 racist propaganda film, the birth of a nation. Ibram X. Kendi and his racial acolytes sit in front of cameras and spew anti-white racism. Take a look for yourself. Let's roll the two-minute trailer and you can hear for yourself uh, this remake of Birth of a Nation. I think what annoys me most about white people is when they pretend like they're the victim. <laughs> annoying is when they, you know, when they kill us. What is fragile about whiteness when everything has been constructed around it? Every part of who I am has been distorted or criminalized. It's really just a bunch of white lies. <laughs> You're storming the Capitol! You're not patriots. You're ridiculous. One of the definitions of American whiteness is ignorance. White people, we are not your problem. You are. Should white people today feel any responsibility for slavery? <laughs> Hell yeah. White Jesus or black Jesus? Jesus was not white. Think of geography. Ain't no way Jesus walked around with blonde hair and blue eyes. White culture fears the end of the world. For us as native people, the end of the world already happened like multiple times. Symbols and monuments, these are mementos of races. Bring that statue that. What about TCBY yogurt or something? Everybody can get behind. <laughs> the truth has to be told about history. We have to make sure that these stories are told from our perspective. There's always hope, you know what I'm saying? We don't give up. It's about obliterating systemic and institutionalized racism. y'all it's a wild place i know harriet and frederick be up there just like what is they gonna do this is a wild place y'all this is just a wild place i know harriet and frederick be up there just like what they is gonna be doing what is they gonna be doing i mean are you kidding me this kind of buffoonery what is these goons bees doing? The, the, 
It's unlikely that All White, which debuts on Friday, will reach the kind of massive audience that flocked to see Birth of a Nation, an anti-black silent movie. There was far less competition for eyeballs 100 years ago. But All White is part of a collective of movies, documentaries, and TV shows with the same central theme. White people are evil. When it comes to anti-white racism, Hollywood has been paid to remove all subtlety. From the hate you give, to get out, to dear white people, to the endless supply of racial documentaries on Netflix, Hollywood producers are taking checks to hammer the theme that white Americans are the root of all evil. Hollywood should be renamed Chinatown a Western outpost for the Chinese Communist Party. Foreign money, particularly from China, continues to pervert Hollywood. This is not good. Racism, regardless of the target, is unhealthy and counterproductive. It drives domestic division and animus. For making this obvious point, some people will label me a honky lover, a sellout, a race trader. My true crime is sticking to the values I was taught as a Christian. My faith compels me to oppose racism. That has been my passion since childhood. In eighth grade, when my junior high began busing in black kids to further integrate the school, I was chosen as a leader to bring the white and black kids together. I played the same role at my high school as the captain of our nationally ranked high school football team. I saw myself as an extension, as an extension of Dr. Martin Luther King's dream of men and women judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Much of my work as a journalist from 1992 to 2010 focused on analyzing America's racial divide through the lens of sports. In 2008, I won the Scripps Howard National Journalism Award for commentary for my ability to quote, integrate sports commentary with social commentary and to challenge widely held assumptions along the racial divide. Many of my critics claim that my point of view has changed drastically over the past 14 years. They claim I've become a conservative political partisan and only criticize the left. I have not changed. I'm not a political partisan. My morals and values have not changed. Journalism and American culture have drastically changed over the past 14 years. Anti-white bigotry has become popular within American culture. I consistently criticize the left because the left has rejected Christianity and embraced racism. I was born in 1967, a year before the assassination of Dr. King. I see myself as a descendant of Dr. King's dream. Dr. King was a, a Christian who fought racism. I do not know Dr. King's political affiliation. I believe Dr. King would be appalled by the racism that is being sanctioned by the left. From critical race theory in schools, to the New York Times 1619 Project, to, to everything's gonna be all white. The left and its global corporate partners are aggressively pushing racism. It's not just anti-white racism, it's anti-black racism too. Visa, the credit card company, just released a Winter Olympic commercial that analogized being black to having cancer or being an amputee. Watch the commercial for yourself. Everyone celebrates the finish line. But what about the starting line? I went through 12 treatments of chemotherapy. I am African-American and I'm surrounded by people who aren't. I didn't become a snowboarder until after I became an amputee. We all win when everyone can get to their starting line. I, I, I want to play that again. Cue that up again because I, I just, I don't want people to miss this. And, and maybe the people at Visa missed it. That's why I, I want, if you work at Visa, I want you to watch. They are telling you in this commercial that being born black is like being an amputee or developing cancer. And that being born black there's a struggle to get to the start line, the same as if you were missing a leg, 
and or were suffering cancer. Watch this commercial. This is racism presented by Visa. Watch it again. Everyone celebrates the finish line. But what about the starting line? I went through 12 treatments of chemotherapy. I am African-American and I'm surrounded by people who aren't. I didn't become a snowboarder until after I became an amputee. We all win when everyone can get to their starting line. Listen, I, I promise you, I'm not a political partisan. I, I just, this kind of racism repulses me and compels me to speak up as a Christian. Who, to, to, for Visa to put out a commercial during the Winter Olympics telling black people, you're such a victim, no different from someone who's an amputee, someone who suffers cancer. You're the same as them. And getting to the starting line is just as difficult for you as it is for an amputee or a cancer survivor. That's what, how difficult it is being black in America. I'm just sorry. That's racist. You, you can't be poisoning the mindsets of black people that, oh, you're such victims. Life is so hard for it. As a Christian, I'm just not a victim. I reject it. I, I, I can't. My critics claim that I ignore the racism of conservatives. They say that voter ID laws are racist and the new Jim Crow. I find that claim a ridiculous distortion of history. It's not remotely unfair or racist to require voters to show a government approved ID. Well, now, what about January 6th? White Trump supporters and the insurrection. White Trump supporters are primarily angry at white leftists for demonizing them as the worst people on the planet and ignoring their legitimate concerns. The theory that Trump voters are motivated by anti-black racism is a hypothesis white liberals popularized to blind black people to the bigotry of the left. I'm sure there are some portion of Trump's base that is motivated by bigotry. But those aren't the people financing visa commercials, analogizing blackness to cancer and being amputated. Those aren't the people arguing that black people cannot achieve in this country without the charity of white people. Those aren't the people setting aside $30 million for crack pipes to pass out to black people. President Joe Biden's Department of Health and Human Services concocted the crack pipe giveaway as part of racial equity. Black crack matters. The left is rolling back the racial progress Dr. King's Generation One. They've turned American society into a mashup of the iconic racial sketch comedy shows In Living Color and The Chappelle Show. Yesterday, rapper Jim Jones posted a video complaining that a Gucci store in California failed to provide him sparkling water and champagne while he shopped in their VIP section. He accused the store of racism and ridiculed the black employee who tried to assist him. This is modern 2022 racism Watch Jim Jones expose the oppression he faces as a, a black celebrity in America. We've been in Gucci for about an hour, right? And we in Gucci in the VIP. We've been in Gucci for like two hours. Right? Since we came in here having nobody came and showed us no courtesy, no amenities, no nothing. Period. Not even a drink of water. I had to speak to the manager. Send me a black guy out here to start telling me some bull. So they got the black guy racial profiling on black people. I had to speak to a manager bigger than him. 
Everybody disappeared. Ain't nobody come out yet. I still ain't getting. I still ain't get no sparkling water. I still ain't get no champagne. I still ain't get nothing. I didn't have a salesperson inside of my VIP suite the whole time I was there. I had to keep screaming for VIP people to help me out. Now everybody don't know where the real manager is. You heard? It's it's tired. I'm tired of this. We spending all this money as entertainers inside these stores. They hire these black people, and these black people are more racist than white people when they get their job inside of Gucci. All of a sudden, you, you stop playing with us, bro. Still haven't seen a manager yet. Still haven't seen a manager yet. Since I'm talking to you right now, manager still hasn't popped out of Gucci. And the bill is like 29000 but we didn't pay that yet. You heard? Why would we? They still haven't sent a manager or bottle of sparkling water or anything that says that we appreciate your service for being in here in Gucci and spending that bag. The big one. The big one. They sent this guy. What is he possibly going to do? You heard? What is he going to do? That's what I want to know. Still haven't seen a manager. Is there a manager that works here? Or everybody's just a worker? America is just a comedy show. That, that's got to be comedy. That's a parody. It's certainly racist. And this is what I'm talking about. This anti-black racism is running rampant among black people. Jim Jones, look at that. What's he gonna do? That black boy they sent out here. What is he gonna do? This is crazy. They sent a black man out here to deal with me. Now, honestly, just roll the tape back to 1950 and think of a white, privileged, pampered, spoiled person. What they doing sending a black person out here to deal with me? They better send somebody white out here to deal with me. I'm not gonna deal with this black trash. This country is going crazy with race, racial idolatry, racism, bigotry, and it's flowing all directions, black and white. And the left is driving it. And that's why I stay constantly criticizing them. Because they're driving it. America, I don't care what anybody says, there was on a clear path of racial improvement for about 150 years. It wasn't perfect, but we were improving. Over this last decade, the left, at the behest of China, has taken us the total opposite direction. China is homogeneous and racist. And in search of rewards that global corporations get from China and pass out here in America, the left has turned America's diversity into our Achilles heel. They're rebirthing our nation by taking us back to a racist future. Everything's gonna be all white, it's just more Chinese propaganda packaged as racial justice. Racism is the tool China is using to screw America. Woo! We kept the fires rolling on Thursday. I went deep on the NFL and their alleged leadership crisis among head coaches and ownership I say the crisis is a symptom of the black family crisis and the dysfunction within our families. This is a heavy fire starter. Enjoy. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell fielded questions from reporters in Los Angeles covering Super Bowl week. The NFL Network's Jim Trotter, a well-respected football reporter, asked Goodell about the league's alleged failure to hire black head coaches, general managers, team presidents, or bring on a black team owner. Uh, Trotter's black. <clears throat> He's an elder among NFL reporters. He's worked at Sports Illustrated, ESPN, covered the Chargers for years at the San Diego Union Tribune. I've known Jim Trotter for years and respect his work. His very long-winded question to Goodell implied that anti-black racism is the only explanation for the NFL 
why they haven't been able to meet the quotas that they want to hit for black coaches, general managers, team presidents, and ownership. According to Trotter, if the league was truly committed to diversity, inclusion, and equity, it would have far more black men in all field positions of leadership and ownership. Listen to Trotter's question for yourself. Hey, Roger, uh, Jim Trotter. The question is more for the owners, but also for you. And since they're not here, I'll ask you, as I always say, um, in your initial statement, the league's initial statement is said that diversity, equity and inclusion were core principles of the NFL. And I need to provide some some context before I can ask you about that statement. In the 100 plus year history of this league, 24 of 32 franchises have either had one black head coach or no black, excuse me, no black head coaches. And to make sure I get the names right, I'll read them off here. We've got the Bills, the Commanders, the Cowboys, the Falcons, the Giants, the Jaguars, the Panthers, the Patriots, the Rams, the Ravens, the Saints, the Seahawks, the Titans, who have never had a black head coach. That's nearly half the league. We look at the fact that there's never been a majority black owner. There's only been one black club president. We look at the GMs, now we're up to seven. Five of those were hired in the last 12 months. We're now at three black head coaches, two of whom were hired after Brian Flores uh, filed his lawsuit. So it's easy to focus on the owners here, but I wanna put this to you here. When we look at the league office of the top 11 executives there, there are only two people of color. When we look at NFL Media Group, where I work, there is not one black person at the senior level in the newsroom um, who makes decisions about a league whose player population is 70% black. So as a member of the media group and as a black man, I ask, why does the NFL and its owners have such a difficult time at the highest levels hiring black people into decision-making positions? Mm. Uh, That's a mouthful. That's a long-winded question. Uh, He injected himself uh, into the question. Uh, He personalized it, talked about uh, the bosses he answers to at the NFL Network. Um, Jim Trotter made himself part of the story here. Uh, I think his logic is flimsy. That logic, that flimsy logic is never applied to on-field positions. As Trotter noted, 70% of the league's players are black. Corporate media will never stand before Goodell and wonder why in a country that is 64% white and 50% female, why are there not more white men and women dotting NFL rosters? Trotter and everyone else assumes that the NFL reserves its highest paid positions for the most qualified regardless of race. Things only turn racist when it comes to off-field decision-making positions. There, NFL owners ignore qualifications and make race-based decisions. Everybody got that? So on the field, Jim Trotter and everyone agrees, man, they just give the jobs to the best people. Off the field, we don't assume that. Everything's race-based and it needs to be a reflection of the number of employees. If there's 76% employees, well, damn it, there should at least be 30%, 40%, whatever. They won't name the number, but there just needs to be more black people in these off-field decision-making uh, positions. And if there isn't, the only explanation is racism. That could be, That's the only thing that could explain it. Couldn't be qualifications. I know the qualifications justify the on-field positions, but off the field, qualifications should be thrown off the uh, out the window, and there are these specific quotas that must be met, or it's just not fair. So Goodell played along with Trotter's loaded, intellectually dishonest and half-baked question. Goodell is white and scared. Trotter knows Goodell can't respond honestly. It could cost Goodell his $50 million a year job. Goodell danced. He accepted Trotter's premise that black success is totally dependent on the goodwill of white people. Listen to Roger dance. Listen, um, 
we we look at the same numbers, and and uh, they're they're really part of the effort that. Again, looking at how do we become more effective in our policies and procedures. Um, we work really hard. We believe in diversity. We believe in it as a value. We believe it's made it stronger. Uh, people who have come into the league who are diverse have been very successful and made us better. Uh, and we just have to do a better job. Uh, we have to look, is there another thing that we can do to make sure we're attracting that best talent here and making our league inclusive. Um, if I had the answer right now, I would give it to you. I would have implemented it. Uh, I think what we have to do is just continue and find and look and step back and say, we're not doing a good enough job here. We need to find better solutions and better outcomes. And so let's make it, let's find more effective policies. Let's make sure everyone understands. Let's make sure that um, we're looking at diversity and actually incentivizing that for everybody in our building, including with compensation. Let's make sure that when we're dealing with vendors outside the building, we're hiring diverse vendors and bringing them in and giving them an opportunity to succeed just like we do with white vendors or people of color. Well, how can they come in and contribute to the NFL? So I think it's, it's not a single answer, Jim. Uh, the single responsibility comes on all of us in the NFL, and we have to be the ones that make that change, and we are the ones that have to make sure we bring diversity deeper into our NFL and make the NFL an, an inclusive um, and diverse organization that allows everyone the opportunity to be successful. I hope everyone is seated and, and ha are prepared for what I'm about to say. But there's actually an alternative way to examine the plight of black men as it relates to high profile leadership positions in the NFL. I know that is blowing your mind. I, I know that you've been convinced that racism is the only way to look at this. That that could be the only solution, answer, white people must improve themselves for black people to advance in this country. Or on this planet, really. I mean, without the improvement of white people, we are absolutely nothing. We are incapable of advancing ourselves. And so unless we can convince NFL ownership to love us, and to pamper and spoil us, and to give us jobs based on diversity, inclusion, and equity, not on qualifications. We haven't heard so far, I don't think we've heard Jim Trotter or, or Roger Goodell bring up, hey, well, let's get these jobs to the best qualified. And you know what? If I'm Roger Goodell, I say, you know what? I actually believe black men can make themselves the best qualified for this position. I believe that. And I believe that my ownership people that I know, that I deal with, when presented the opportunity, will hire that person if they believe they're the best qualified. And it's actually not race determining this. But I'm crazy, but I I'm gonna give you an alternative way of looking at this. Let's start with the easiest one as it relates to ownership. If, if we were having an honest conversation. NFL teams now sell for three to five billion dollars. As of 2021, according to Forbes magazine, there were roughly 720 American billionaires. Seven of them are black. How many black people can afford to buy an NFL franchise? Let, let's just Let's just, 720 billionaires in America, seven are black. NFL teams sell for three to five billion. You gotta have a lot of money to buy an NFL team. And if you wanna be majority owner, you probably need to be worth two to five billion dollars. But right now, Byron Allen, a comedian and entrepreneur, with a net worth allegedly between 300 and 400 million dollars, desperately wants to buy the Denver Broncos. He's publicly campaigning for the right to buy the Broncos. Can Byron Allen afford it? 
Or would he simply be the token black face fronting an ownership bid of people who don't look like him? A lot of people would like to buy an NFL franchise. Should the NFL ignore more qualified applicants and give Allen's group a, a, a team to satiate Jim Trotter and other people who believe in the power of tokenism and good public relations? Will the lives of black people be improved if an NFL team has a black token owner? People who believe that are the same people who believe the Black Panther movie was critical to the advancement of black people. Wakanda forever! It changed America. Black kids now can dream of moving to Wakanda. Let's go to front office positions and head coaches. I've written and talked about this previously. There's a lot of competition to lead NFL franchises. Do we? It's a very difficult question, but it's an honest one. Do we, black people, undermine our candidate pool with our dysfunctional family structure? If 75% of our last two generations were raised in single-parent households, do we believe there are no consequences from that? Our family structure is way outside of God's design. Do we think the charity of guilt-ridden white people can fix problems resulting from the destruction of the family unit from being way outside of God's design? Are white people, guilt-ridden white people, so powerful that if we construct a family structure, 75% of us out of line with what God intended, but white people are so powerful, they can fix that. Every achievement metric can be directly related to family structure. Kids raised in nuclear families outperform kids raised in single parent homes in virtually all endeavors. If the black candidate pool collectively has the lowest grades in junior high, high school and college, should we be surprised that our candidate pool underperforms when it comes to landing the most coveted and competitive jobs in America. I'm sorry if that is difficult, but we have to deal with the truth and the facts. Our family structures are killing and destroying and undermining our kids. They're leading our kids to not perform at a level of other ethnic groups academically. We kill our own candidate pool with our irresponsible family structure. That's a fact. We have to deal with that. And so if we have constructed a family structure that's dysfunctional, grandparent-led, auntie-led, single mama, baby mama-led, and we can't compete with other ethnic groups from Latino to Asian to white, who don't construct, who don't build their families that way? We got to deal with this. The starting line dictates what happens at the finish line. If you start with bad, dysfunctional families, don't be shocked when the fruit of those families can't compete with the fruit of nuclear families. When it comes to leadership, do black athletes respect and respond well to black male leadership when they grow up in homes with no male leadership? Perhaps there's some resentment or bitterness left from feeling abandoned by your father. Perhaps that's why we maybe don't respond to male leadership, particularly black male leadership, the way that we should. Yesterday, I wrote and talked about a video the rapper Jim Jones released complaining about his treatment inside of a Gucci store in California. Here's some highlights from Jim Jones. Since we came in here having nobody came and showed us no courtesy, no amenities, no nothing. Period. Not even a drink of water. Asked to speak to the manager. Send me a black guy out here to start telling me some bull****. So they got the black guy racial profiling on black people. Asked to speak to the manager bigger than him. 
Everybody disappeared. Ain't nobody come out yet. I'm tired of this. We spending all this money as entertainers inside these stores. They hire these black people, and these black people are more racist than white people when they get their job inside of Gucci. All of a sudden, you, you stop playing with us, bro. Still haven't seen a manager yet. They said this guy. What is he possibly gonna do? You heard? What is he gonna do? Is what I wanna know. Still haven't seen a manager. Is there a manager that works here or everybody's just a worker? So, just for clarity and fairness, Jim Jones is half Ruben, half Latino. But his mindset mirrors a mentality that is pervasive among black and brown kids, 45 and younger. Jim Jones ridiculed the black Gucci employee who tried to address his concerns. He demanded he be helped by a white person. This is indicative of the mindset of many black and brown men, young people, boys in America. There is a lack of respect for black male authority. This is no secret. It's discussed and talked about among black men constantly. If, if you think sports franchises and sports teams don't have a profile on the athletes and what they respond to, what type of leadership they respond to, what their family makeup, if they grew up in a home with no male leadership, there's a profile on those athletes. Will they respond to male leadership? Particularly black male leadership. Corporate media loves to pretend there are no negative outcomes from family dysfunction. The truth is there are too many negative outcomes to list. It's far more comfortable and popular to chastise Roger Goodell for the jobs black men don't land within football than to challenge black people to adopt strategies that put them in position to land those jobs. As long as black men present themselves to the world as believing white men are responsible for our success, we're going to remain poor candidates for high profile leadership positions. Those jobs are going to go to the men who believe they control their destiny. Victims are not leaders. People unwilling to self-examine are not leaders. They're not serious people. If we really want to uh, produce a competitive crop of leaders, we have to commit to producing more black nuclear families. A token black owner and Eric B. Enemy landing a head coaching job won't fix the black family. All right, we ended Friday talking some NBA. Ben Simmons and James Harden traded for each other. We get into it with Royce White and Rashad McCants about Ben Simmons and his mental health issues. Enjoy this fire starter. I wouldn't even, I don't know if I'd call this a fire starter. Enjoy this conversation. It helps start a fire on Friday. The 76ers, Brooklyn Nets, and we'll do that with uh, Royce White. Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, two first round picks sent to Brooklyn for James Harden and Paul Millsap. James Harden now paired with Joel Embiid. Uh, that's supposed to be some kind of classic, damn near Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar pairing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, Royce, I want to talk with you about Ben Simmons. And I think there's a lot of people, uh, depending on how soon Ben Simmons takes the court, but I, I'm not even sure if it matters when he takes the court. Uh, he's claimed mental health issues. He clearly was just trying to force his way out of Philadelphia. Uh, has, has Ben Simmons done any damage here to athletes claiming mental health issues? Do you buy Ben Simmons' mental health story? 
let me start with this. Okay, mental health is a complex issue in the context of sports, especially, um, but but in the context of of being human. And I think all of those players deal. They have a mental health first and foremost, as do all of us who are watching. And some of them deal with mental health issues, um, some worse than others, some who don't really know to call it mental health issues. But but by and large, all of us will really deal with mental health issues at some point in our life or another in some different form or fashion. I will say that when it comes to Ben Simmons specifically, I hope, I hope that he didn't use mental health to force a trade and negotiate this 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 exit from Philadelphia, but I will say that my default position when somebody says they're having mental health issues is to believe that they are, uh, because in the worst case scenario, like many have suggested around Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons' situation, even if somebody is lying about having mental health issues, we can extract that they have mental health issues from them doing that, right? And that's a little bit of a nuanced way to look at it, but but all in all, if you're lying about about having a mental health issue, uh, then you do have some mental health issues, no doubt. And and ultimately, I think if he did falsely use mental health in the current scope of the mental health conversation, especially as it pertains to sports, improperly to force his way out, he's done major harm to the mental health conversation. And it's one that I took a bullet for, so I, I definitely take offense to that. If he does have genuine mental health issues beneath the surface that 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 we don't understand, I'm not close enough to him to know about that. Uh, and, and I hope that he's healthy now. And I think he does have a lot to still contribute to the game of basketball. So I hope he's healthy now, and I, and I hope he moves forward. Royce, what do you say to some old dude like me that sits there and says, whew, the mental stress my mama was under when my parent, when her and my daddy got divorced and it was me, her, and my brother and she had to take a second job and uh, she didn't take no days off despite whatever mental stress she was under. And, and you know, and I, I, I'll even go a step further and, and not that I'm any type of hero, but I've, I had the Omicron variant two, three weeks ago. And it's left me with a foggy brain. I'm not thinking as clearly, I can't focus as well as I had previously. I, I, I feel like I'm kind of on the other side of that, but I've struggled with it the past couple of weeks. I still showed up and did my job. And, and that's, people have been dealing with mental health issues while continuing to work for as long as I can remember. Tell me why my thinking is old and outdated and unhealthy. Uh, I, I just, I, you know, I don't even say, I just see it as a grown-up's um, responsibility to be yeah. reliable, available, put the work in, but I'm, I'm, I'm just an old fart, man, to set me straight. No, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't think that you're off track with that. I think that there is, th there's, there's two sides to the coin when it comes to mental health or, or just work in general. I, I think our American culture has lost uh, its sense of how important an honest day's labor is and, and how, how good that can be for your mental health or just for your overall, you know, spiritual health and just clarity in life. So, so I think we've lost that. But some of that does have to do with the same corporatocracy who would use a person like Ben Simmons not showing up to work and then appeal to a working class who's disenfranchised economically to say, he's rich, you make pennies, you should be mad at him because we're in a negotiation spat, right? So I see that little game that's played. And, and so, and as an athlete, and I know you, you, you played in sports as well, there's a sort of cultural bait and switch played on us where as spectators and as fans, we have to give this this sort of grace to the establishment and the organizations when they when they position a player in a way that makes that makes it so that you know we say about the player, well, he's not loyal, winning's not his main priority, he's selfish, he's a prima donna, he's a diva, he's a this, he's a that. But they operate only on business. 
right? And so, and they've made the NBA and pro sports hyper business oriented, but they never get a criticism of those same sort of moral cultural values that make us love our American athletes. And so my point to you is that in a case like Ben Simmons, let's just say he is faking. Let's just say he is winning's not his highest priority. Let's say he's not the dog everybody wants him to be or that they paid for. Are we going to overlook the fact that the Philadelphia 76ers culture, by and large over the last 10 years, has been hyper business, that winning hasn't always been their highest priority? Ben Simmons was cultivated in a culture that says, hey, we could, we could, we could tank for two years. We could tank for two years because this is about business and getting the best draft picks. My point is this sort of anti-competitive spirit and ethos that's emerged in our pro sports had Sam Hinkie and the Philadelphia 76ers trying to cheat their way to victory. So why wouldn't Ben Simmons? Mm. Royce, that's why I had you on today. I knew you'd say something good. I knew you'd give me something, a different way to look at this and think about this. I wasn't prepared for that answer. Uh, that's a damn good one. Uh, you got anything and else you want to unsay before I let you go? <laughs> and ultimately, and ultimately, I will say that in in the way Ben Simmons presented that he was having mental health issues does carry a sort of thread of dishonesty and disingenuousness from a perspective of him using it and saying the term mental health because it is supercharged in the media. And and Rich Paul and the guys who are behind him knew to use that. Uh, in this particular situation. That doesn't mean he doesn't have mental health issues. It just means the intention and the motivation might not be on the up and up. All right, that's it, and that's all for us this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the like and subscribe button. Join the Fearless Army. Get you some Fearless Army swag at ShopBlazeMedia.com. And right now, if you're listening on Apple, give me that five-star review. Leave a comment. Leave some words of encouragement. We love you. We'll see you next week.